We'll be coming towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at two verses this evening from chapter 7. So please turn there, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Verses 13 and 14, that's what we're going to look at. So Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you've ever uh, left a, a sermon, left a church service, you're driving home maybe with your family or some friends and you, you sort of can't stop raving about it. You talk about how, uh, how eloquent the preacher was, how maybe powerful or dynamic you, you talk about how, how great the illustrations were. They were just, they really matched. You know, sometimes you listen to a sermon and the guy has an introduction and then it's a really good introduction, but then you sort of, it has really nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, but in this situation, that's not the case. It's a, the introduction is appropriate. It's, uh, uh, everything is great and you're talking about it and you say, you know, such, you know, the, the person's voice and their modulation of their voice was so good and I was just, transfixed and uh, it was so powerful and then you do nothing about it Uh, you don't obey it you don't take the application to heart well Jesus won't allow that Jesus will not allow people to leave the Sermon on the Mount and do nothing about it Uh, he as he reaches the end he calls men and women he calls his audience he calls us today to uh, respond to to act. Uh, it's not enough to feel convicted. It's not enough to just go away saying, "Sure, Jesus, wow, what a what a great preacher." No one ever spoke like this. They do say that. No man ever spoke like this. No one ever spoke with such authority. Uh, later on in chapter seven, if we jump ahead, uh, we see these these frightening sort of statements of the Lord Jesus where. On Judgment Day, many people will say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do you know, this and this in your name? These people are very passionate about the Lord. They're even involved in ministry, doing all these things. And Jesus says, I never knew you. They never actually obeyed his fundamental teachings about what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are called to obey the Lord. We are called to, really at every sermon, to respond uh, and that's, that's what every sermon calls us to. It calls us to apply the teachings in our lives. Uh, a sermon isn't really a proper sermon if there isn't a point of application or a call to do something, to respond in a certain way. And Jesus is no different. Now, it's not to say that we're saved by our works. So don't get that idea. Uh, but you cannot say Jesus is Lord and not obey him. Okay, Jesus said that. You can't say, no, he's my Lord, but you don't listen to him. That's like saying, this guy's my boss, but you never actually do anything he says. Okay? Uh, you cannot say Jesus is Lord, but you do not obey him. Obedience is proof that you have submitted to him. And so that brings us to our passage. And Jesus gives us these two, two gates, these two ways, these two pathways. The one that leads to life, 
And by that he means eternal life. And the other one that leads to, to destruction, eternal destruction, eternal damnation. Notice what he says at the beginning. He says to his audience, he commands them. He says, enter by the narrow gate. It is a command. It is an imperative. That's the mood uh, in, the, in the Greek. He commands his audience and he commands us and all people everywhere to enter by the narrow gate. And Jesus acknowledges that his way, if you're going to go his way, it is a narrow way. Maybe some of you grew up with the King James Version. It said straight. Okay? It's a straight way. And it isn't, it's not straight as in a straight line. It's spelled differently. It's spelled S-T-R-A-I-T. Uh, the only sort of other time we use it in, in sort of um, popular language is we talk about a straight jacket. Okay? So um, if, you, if someone is maybe a, a, a danger to themselves, we put them in a straight jacket. And so it's a jacket that really, you know, ties them up and they're in a straightened condition. And that's the idea here. He's saying this way is the straight way, the narrow way. It's a constrained way. And that's, that's language we don't like. Okay? Uh, it, it's, you know, we don't, it, if someone says to you, you know, you're narrow-minded, that's, a, that's a, an ugly thing to say to someone, isn't it? It's a pejorative. It's not a compliment uh, especially in, in the, you know, we live in a city, we live in Johannesburg. That's the last thing you want to be, uh, sort of seen to be narrow-minded. We all want to be, you know, we're sophisticated, we're, we're broad-minded, we, uh, we're not narrow-minded. Uh, in fact, we think the way it's used, I looked it up, you know, someone is narrow-minded when they are prejudiced or refuse to listen to other ideas. We say that person is intolerant. So Jesus, using this language, is intentional. He knows that it's not a, a popular thing to say. It's not a nice thing to say. But it is the truth to say, you and I, if you want to be saved, you have to enter, it's a command, enter by this narrow gate, this straight way. Uh, and then he says this. He says, for, which is a causal statement, the reason why. Why must you enter by the narrow gate? Well, because there is another gate. There is another path that you don't want to be on. Notice what he says. He says the other gate is wide. It's broad. It's not difficult to, to, to get through that gate. In fact, some, some uh, manuscripts don't even have the word gate. So it might be that the original didn't even have it, that there was just one gate implying you had to get through it. And the other way, we're just naturally on that path. It's so broad and open. We're all on it automatically. That's the, the wide way. It's the broad way. Notice what he also says. Uh, it's easy. It's the easy way. Uh, that can be translated as spacious or roomy. Okay? And that's something that we all want, don't we? We don't want to be claustrophobic. Uh, we want to have space. Give me space, we say that. Uh, that's what we desire. And that's really what this path offers. It says, no, you can, you can do you. You can be you. You have lots of space here. Uh, there, is no, there are no restraints. There are no restrictions. It is not confining. It's natural, this path. Uh, I always think of, of um, salmon. You know, salmon, if you watch David Attenborough, you'll know they, uh, uh, it's quite remarkable. They, 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 so they're the fish, if you don't know. Uh, and uh, they, they're born in, in rivers and then they swim down you know, hundreds, maybe even thousands of kilometers to the sea 
And then the way God has made them, it's remarkable, at a certain time when they're ready to spawn, they, they go back to where they were, they were born. They know the river. They swim up the rapids. It's remarkable. You can go and YouTube the footage. Uh, they will, it, it costs them their lives. Many of them get killed by bears and, and predators. And, and in fact, they go back and, and they spawn and then they die. But it is remarkable. They, they know exactly. I mean, they don't have Google Maps or anything. They go back exactly to where, where they, they were born. But it's a fight. They have to swim against the current. They jump huge distances, meters up these waterfalls. That's the idea of the narrow way. The broad way is just going with the current. It's just going with the flow. You don't need to put any effort into it. Uh, you don't, to go to hell, you don't need to put effort in. By nature, we're already on that path. That is the way. That is our predisposition. That is how we are wired. We are by nature the children of wrath. By nature, we hate God. By nature, we don't want anything to do with Him. We are happy with religion. We like religion because it makes our conscience feel good. But that's the idea here. The broad way is, is easy. It is spacious. And notice what Jesus says, though. It, does, it is the path that leads to destruction. You don't want to be on that on that path. The end of that path is destruction. And notice what Jesus does here. He just compartmentalizes the whole human race into two pathways. Again, to the modern ear, that sounds so bigoted. How can you do that? You know, how can you just say there are people on their way to hell and there are people who are on their way to eternal life and only those people who are in Christ are on their way to eternal life. But again, I could say it in a bigoted way, in a self-righteous way. That, that is true. I, and many Christians and many people who, who say they're Christian do that. And they, in fact, they seem to take a type of glee in saying these type of things. They enjoy sort of damning people to hell. They, they take delight in it. And that's not the way of Christ. Uh, not one of us should, in, should uh, ever talk about these things in that way. Jesus certainly does not do that. Um, so that's true. Our attitude could be bigoted. But this statement is not bigoted. Uh, if it's true, it is the truth. Uh, we, we don't say that someone who tells us the truth about science or mathematics has been bigoted. You know, how dare you say two plus two can only equal four? We don't do that. We say, we understand that because it's true. And so it is with the Lord Jesus. This is true. Irrespective of your socioeconomic standing, your culture, your background, anything, your education level, your IQ, your EQ, uh, any of those things, we're all either on the broad way or we're on the, the narrow way. That's the only two paths. The Bible is very clear that it, and it's very happy to reduce humanity to those two paths, uh, to two families. Either you're in, in the family of the devil or the family of, of God. And so the Lord says you don't want to be on that path. Make sure that you strive to enter the narrow way. Get on that narrow gate. You don't want to be on this path. Now the next thing he says is that there are many on this path. You see that there? Those who enter by it are many. The majority the majority of people on the planet, unfortunately, are on that path. The majority of South Africans are on that path. 
probably the majority of people in your workspace, in your company, are on the path, on the Broadway. And again, that's, that's, we're wired to sort of go with the majority. We tend to think, well, the majority is right. Okay? Um, we, we don't want to be those who sort of are in the minority ordinarily, unless you just like being difficult. Um, okay, and that's not anything, that's not something to be proud of. Uh, there's a, there's a, a fallacy in logic. So when, you're, when, you, when you argue, I'm sure you've, all, you've probably all heard of the ad hominem fallacy. If you argue with someone, ad hominem just means you attack the person against the man. So you're, you're not really dealing with the, the issue. So you're not debating the issue. You're just saying, yeah, but you're a horrible person, therefore you must be wrong. Okay? Um, and and that's, not, that's a fallacy. You can't say that the person's argument is wrong just because they're horrible. Um, you need to deal with the argument on its own merit. Well, there's another fallacy called the ad populum fallacy. Uh, the ad populum fallacy sometimes called the bandwagon fallacy or the appeal to numbers or appeal to popularity. And um, advertisers like to use that, don't they? They, want you to, they? they do want you to feel that you, that you fit in. You know, that's how they... Uh, that you, you can be part of the cool people. Okay. Um, and so the, the appeal to popularity is simply saying this thing is good because most other people think it's good. Okay? Um, I'm sure you've, you've heard that. You've got to read this book. It's a bestseller. Okay? That's not really telling you why you should read that book as though it's, you know, why, what's the merit of it? Is it well written? Is it good? Just because lots of people like it. It's like people saying you've got to watch the Barbie movie because half the planet has watched it. Uh, Please don't. Okay. Not that I've seen it. It just <laughs> it looks frightening. Um, but you see, that's the idea. You just got to do it because everyone else is doing it, okay. and that means it's right, and that means it's good. And so the majority of people are on this path. This is the, the the air that we breathe. This is the path, and therefore it must be must be correct. Even the Pharisees used this method of argumentation. In John chapter seven. Uh, They wanted to arrest the Lord Jesus in verse 45. The officers then came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not not bring him? Why didn't you arrest Jesus? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? And then they say this, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? You see, See what they're doing? They're saying, well, you see, none of the Pharisees believe in him. So, you know, the majority of us, we don't believe. Therefore, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be who he claims to be. First of all, they're lying. There were some Pharisees who did believe in Jesus. But you see, what they're trying to do is say, you've got to go with the majority. What does the majority think? Uh, And so... They're using this, this argumentation, they're not dealing with who Jesus is and his claims and the vindication of his claims and fulfillment of prophecy and what does the Bible say, all of those things. They're just simply saying, how can you believe in him? Because none of us, we're the educated ones, none of us believe in him. Uh, and so don't, don't stay on the broad path just because your friends are on it, just because everyone else is on it. That doesn't make it right. In fact, the Lord Jesus says the opposite. There are many on that path. Okay. It's probably a sign that you're not right on when it comes to the things of Christ if you know, everyone agrees with you. Okay. 
Okay. Verse 14, he puts another causal statement in there. You see that? He says, for, again. So, he says to us, enter by the narrow gate. Make sure you get on the narrow gate. Go through the narrow gate. Why? Because you don't want to be on the broad way because uh, it leads to destruction. It is broad and spacious and easy and lots of people are on it, but it leads to, to hell. Now, why does everyone stay on that path? Why don't, why, if, if it leads to destruction, why don't people all quickly get onto the narrow path? Notice why Jesus gives the reason. He says, for, verse 14, for the gate is narrow. People don't like it. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So why, don't, why, why doesn't the whole of Johannesburg not get saved? Why don't they believe? Why don't, we, have, we, say, we have the best news ever. All your sins can be forgiven. All your guilt and your shame be dealt with. Meaning in life. Eternal life. Uh, I, I 100% hold to this. And I've never been disproven in my life and in all my studies. Christianity is the only religion and worldview that makes sense of the world. It is holistic. It is able to explain why human beings can do incredible things. We are not animals. We are amazing. We are made in the image of God. That's why we can create beauty and glorious things. Architecture and art and music and sporting achievements and Justice and law and logic and mathematics and physics. and It's incredible. They try and make us, you know, we're not far removed from monkeys. It's ridiculous. We're infinitely removed from animals. We have sense of all of these things. We are self-aware. We can plan for the future. We can think about justice and concepts. All of these things. We're incredible. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet, we're so wicked and vile and perverted and wretched and Brute beasts. Murder and envy and rape and genocide and violence and horrific things. Gassing people and burning them in ovens. How is it? Well, the Bible says because, because we rebel against our Creator. We're sinful. We hate God. We don't want Him. We don't want the narrow way. So Christianity has all the answers. It's the only one that takes sin seriously. It takes all of those things and says they are bad. They're not just... Yeah. They are bad and the only way they can be dealt with is if God himself pays the fine. That's how bad it is. And we know that. We know that innately. We know these things are so terrible. What can take away the sin? And only the gospel has the answer. But why don't people flock to hear it? Why doesn't the whole of Johannesburg believe? Well... Because it is a narrow way. It's a hard way. So I want to emphasize that point because you you can hear a lot that come to Jesus, your best life now, all this and heaven. But Jesus says, no, it's a hard way. Maybe Christianity is not working out the way you thought it would. You expected something different. Maybe not perfection. You didn't, you didn't say that. But you thought it would be better. You thought your life would go a little bit better. You thought you wouldn't suffer so much. But Jesus says, this way is hard. Okay. So maybe, maybe 
listening? Yeah, I don't know. The Lord knows. But probably you will go through times where you, you, you do think, well, is it worth carrying on? Because it is so hard. I'm reading uh, Tim Keller's book on, called Making Sense of God. He says most people, they don't reject Christianity because they find something wrong or anything like that. They, they, they experience something that contradicts their expectation of Christianity. And their expectation is, often, is not in, in line with Scripture. That's why they, so they have a wrong view of Christianity. So, for example, they think, you know, if you're not a Christian, you can't be a nice person. Well, and then they meet a nice person at university who's not a Christian, who's an atheist. And they think Christianity must be wrong because this, this person's really nice. In fact, they're nicer than the people at church. Uh, well, Christian, well, there's nowhere in the Bible that says unbelievers can't do nice things. Even Jesus said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, okay, so the Bible never teaches that. So don't be surprised if you meet nice people. In fact, in fact, be very surprised if you meet if the nicest people you know are in the church because the Bible says God has chosen the weak and the foolish. Okay, <laughs> He's chosen the bad ones. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, uh, so that shouldn't put you off. Or, or else people, they, they sin and they enjoy it. They have an illicit relationship. They sin sexually and they find they don't get struck by lightning and actually it's quite nice. And they say, well, well, the Bible must be wrong. Christianity is wrong because this is actually very enjoyable. Well, there's nowhere in the Bible that says sin is not enjoyable. If it wasn't enjoyable, we wouldn't battle with it. What the Bible says is that the end leads to death. Okay. You can have some gratification now. You can have some enjoyment now when you sin. Stolen bread eaten in secret is sweet. The scriptures tell us that. So again, that's not a reason to reject Christianity. Christianity never says, you know, if you sin, life will be terrible for you. Ultimately it will. But sin can be enjoyable. But if you thought a Christian life will be nice and enjoyable and easy, well, it doesn't say that. Jesus right here says it is hard. So, so if, you, if you're finding it hard, well done. <laughs> you're on the right path. Don't give up. Right here, Jesus tells you, it is hard. It is narrow. It is constrained at times. It is going to be hard. People will forsake you. You will not be immune to sickness and disease and suffering and loss. You may well have added persecution, rejection, all of these things. So if you take nothing else away from it, take this. You can expect the Christian life to be hard. And if you're finding it super easy, there's probably something wrong. You're not aware of your sin properly because fighting sin will be hard. And then lastly, there's only a few on this path. Okay. So I don't believe Christians mustn't be pessimists. Um, we, we, we're, we're not to be, oh, there's only a few of us, and oh well, you know, just a holy huddle, and <laughs> Christian ghettos, and all of these things. And 
poor us and we're victims and we feel sorry for ourselves. Not, that's not what the, the Bible teaches. We are, of all people, most blessed. Uh, we are the, the ones who, who know love, who know that God has forgiven us and we are able to then love others. But the reality is, there are some Christians who believe that the majority of the world will be saved. And, uh, but it's passages like this that stop me from believing this and the reality of world history um, and other passages. Just to simply to say, Jesus said there's only few. There's many on this way and few on this way. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's the way it is and it's the way it's always been. Praise God that there are hundreds of millions, maybe billions of Christians right now on the planet, but it's still, we're not the majority. It's not the majority of the world's population. And so there are few on this, this path. Well, as I close, think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because isn't this exactly what he did? He narrowed himself, didn't he? He, he left the glories of heaven, didn't he? He, he came into a, a constrained life, took upon himself flesh. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, which is a, you mustn't read it in a literal way, it's, it's just metaphorical, symbolic. It, in fact, he says it's sort of a dream. But it's a dream of um, people from hell who visit heaven. And he shows that people in hell have no substance, no weight to them. And they've become nothing. They've become ephemeral. And that ultimately at the end, it's quite interesting, hell is just smaller than a pebble. It's, it's full of pettiness. I mean, that's what sin is. It's pettiness and self-absorption. And in the end, hell is just this tiny, tiny little thing that fits into a crack. It has no substance like heaven and the glories of God's creation and what it means to be a full human in the image of God, enjoying his good things and being free to love and uh, obey him. But he says this, oh, uh, this is uh, one, of the, one of the guys who visits heaven is, is taken on, uh, he has a guide, MacDonald, who's another author that C.S. Lewis uh, really appreciated. And he says to this to him, he says, Only the greatest of all can make himself small enough to enter hell. For the higher a thing is, the lower it can descend. A man can sympathize with a horse, but a horse cannot sympathize with a rat. See the logic there? Isn't that beautiful? He says, Only one has descended into hell. And don't worry about your theology. What, did Jesus really go into hell? He, he tasted hell. He experienced hell. Hell is to be forsaken by all the gracious attributes of God. And that's what he did on the cross. He experienced the wrath of God and he was forsaken in his humanity. Only the greatest can condescend, can become so narrow, so constrained, enter into such a narrow place. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't have to, I want to be equal to God. I want to be God. He was God. What does he do? But made himself nothing. 
Taking the form of a servant. See the constraints? Becoming a servant. Being born in the likeness of man. Taking upon himself flesh with all the constraints of being human. You know this of the the Gospels. You know that he was fully human. You know that he got tired. He got hungry and thirsty. He wept. He never had that before he took upon himself humanity. See what he did? He entered as well. He, he came and constrained himself. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I don't want to leave you just so, well, okay, the Christian life's hard and it's narrow and that's the end of it. No, you see, the idea is it leads to life. It is narrow that leads to space. And we know this principle intuitively. We know this. You know, uh, if you watch uh, the World Cup, (laughs) (laughs) nobody playing in the World Cup just pitched up there last week and decided, I think I'll take up rugby. And they got in. Or soccer, or um, you know, in the Philharmonic Orchestra, or anyone who has achieved any high-level success in anything in business—that doesn't happen like that. What happens? You have to be disciplined. There is constraint. You have to have a schedule and train and train and train. And Gladwell talks about the ten-thousand-hour rule. It's not a rule. It's not saying if you do ten thousands, you're going to be a pro. But it's a principle that's. It's true. You, you have to... Uh, I, I read these you know, biographies. I enjoy, quite enjoy some sports biographies. And they talk about... So for professional soccer players. That those who make it, what do they do? They say... I, they stop going out with their friends on Friday night and Saturday night. They stop having a beer with their friends. If you're an older, you don't even drink Coca-Cola. Okay? Uh, they, why? They... They, they say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to constrain my life so that they have the space to be amazing. And you know, you know, you only enjoy something when you're good at it. You only enjoy skateboarding or something when you can, when you can do it. Like before, it's terrible. Like, you just get hurt. <laughs> it's, that's the reality. That's what it's saying. It's... The Lord is saying, go this way. It's going to be constraining, but in the end, it opens up. Okay, it's glorious. Uh, I thought of, while I was preparing, uh, just the image of those, you know, if you watch those movies or read history of prisoner of war camps, so, so guys who are caught during wartime and they put in those prisoner of war camps and it's barbed wire and then they, there's floodlights. It's like a, it's a prison. And then they make these plans. What do they do? They dig a tunnel under. But you see, what's a, or a prison break or something. They have to be constrained. They have to go through the tunnel or the sewage pipe or something. And then there's freedom. And so it is for the Christian life. It's only for a season. It's only for a period. But it leads to, to glory and openness. And it, 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 even for the Lord Jesus, what does he do? He humbles himself. He does all of these things for the joy that was set before him. And when you go and read that, that joy is, is us. It's remarkable. You think, sure, there must be something else. It can't be. No, it's, it's saving us so that we can be with him forever and ever. 
That's why he did it. He constrained himself for the joy that was set before him. So enter by the narrow gate. Come through Christ. What it means is that you can't take anything with you. You can't take your pride. You can't take your, your sins. You can't take those things you're saying, I'm going to go this narrow way. But in the end, it leads to, to life. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this sermon, the greatest of all sermons. We thank you that you are so honest with us, Lord. You tell us this way is hard. Lord, I really cry out to you. There are any who are on the verge of giving up. Please encourage them, Lord. You tell them that it is hard. This is what they should expect. They're not doing something wrong. It is hard. They must strive to enter that narrow way. They must persevere. They mustn't become despondent. Please, Lord, encourage and strengthen and preserve. And Lord, for any who are on the broad way, please draw them to yourself. Give them grace to enter in at the narrow way, to obey your command. Oh Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for even moments, sometimes we do see some of the space. As we've persevered over years, fought sin, we begin to see space and openness and freedom. We praise you for those little foretastes, but we long for that day when we are totally free. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for your suffering, for what you did, you did, did 2,000 years ago, for humbling yourself so that we might know freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.